Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Future of Tech is produced by Mission and brought to you by Amdocs. JJ Caffey believes that work is fundamentally broken. People are spending more of their waking hours working than ever before, many of them spent alone and behind a screen. According to JJ, the way the average person works is no longer productive. And in fact, our work habits are leaving many of us more burnt out and lonely than ever before. When it comes to millennials and Gen Z, who represent the future workforce, it's more important than ever before to find a better way to bring productivity to our time on the clock. JJ thinks she has a way to do that. JJ is the founder of Order In, a remote productivity membership club providing accountability, community, and structure to young remote workers and an elite network of leaders imagining the future of work for remote and distributed teams. On this episode of Future of Tech, JJ breaks down exactly what is wrong with work as we know it, and she prescribes some solutions that could make a world of difference. For example, JJ believes that AI and automation can and should be utilized more to help eliminate tasks from our day-to-day responsibilities and give us more time to do deep work and collaborate in ways that only humans can. Additionally, JJ explains that as Gen Z starts to enter the workforce, Companies need to focus on what is important to them and implement policies and offer opportunities that will make that generation eager to work and effective when they do. What are these policies? How should companies be evaluating employees who've moved to working from home? And how are we going to see AI enter our work lives more? Find out on this episode. Enjoy. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So good morning, JJ, and welcome to Future of Tech new episode. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great. I I was, you know, there are like so many questions I would like to ask you, but let's start from maybe the very basic. How did it all start? So, yeah, I have been focused on the future of work sector for the past year and looking to solve the two biggest problems that I see facing um, knowledge workers, information professionals, you know, really anyone who, like me, works in front of a computer all day. And those two problems are social isolation 
um, just loneliness and disconnect from other people. And the other one is burnout, that the workday has gotten so much longer. Um, People get interrupted all day long. So we're doing kind of very many hours of less high quality work and and don't really have lives to ourselves. So um, I founded Order In, which is a digital community and also a support structure for top tier professionals working remotely to uh, address these problems. And then of course, during the pandemic, during COVID-19, it's become a lot more relevant to a lot more people who are working remotely, maybe for the first time, maybe they have been for a long time and they're looking for that, that extra support um, and being productive and also in, uh, in not losing their minds. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Let, let's go maybe even more further to the past. So you are like, it's the seventh or eighth or 200th startup that you founded. And uh, so you did a lot. How, how did your journey in, in, in tech started? I don't know how I would put an exact start on it, but I think that I have always known that entrepreneurship was something that suited for me. I have started communities specifically since I was a child. Actually, I started online communities for little kids when I was, you know, nine or 10. Um, And then from there, I have founded a number. Oh gosh, um, it's it's cartoon animals online for children. Oh, really? It's nice. you know, it's from a long time ago. It's very silly because I was ten years old, but you know, a few thousand people would play these games with me that I set up at that time. And then you know, at other moments in my life, I also found myself kind of starting my own thing when I saw that there was a need that wasn't being fulfilled. I think a couple of my um, my favorites, the things I'm most proud of would have been I founded something called Valkyrie Collective in New York City. And it was a mastermind network for entrepreneurial women. So for female founders or just women doing innovative things in their job. And it was really focused on getting together in person, which was the gap that I saw. I went to a lot of networking events where you meet someone for one hour and never see them again. And I was also a member of a lot of online um, communities, but hadn't kind of brought this consistent in-person relationship thing into my life. So I started that at that point. And then um, during my MBA at Wharton, which I graduated a little over a year ago, I founded something called Venture Foragers, which is a venture capital research firm um, where we have teams of student researchers that figure out different um, really frontier, really like edgy and out there technology sectors and explore them and report them back to some of the top uh, VCs, particularly in San Francisco. So I have this kind of history of, of starting things when I feel like there's a need for it. And then at the same time in tech, I uh, started out working with a couple of incubators, accelerators in New York City. And then um, I actually joined one of the accelerators portfolio companies, a company called FindMine, and they're a software SaaS company. And I had a really wonderful experience with them. I was their first employee after um, after the founders and stuck with them until they raised their Series A. And I went off to uh, start my MBA at Wharton. So I've got to dabble in venture capital a tiny bit, and you know, software and communities, a, a number of things. And I've always thought that the most fulfilling part of all of it, you know, two different things. I think the first one is just bringing something new into the world is always very exciting. But the other one is the people getting to spend my time around incredibly innovative people who are really thinking far into the future um, and, and have such amazing ideas. So I've really loved it. Well, this is uh, like uh, really interesting and, and, and fun to, to hear because seems yeah. like you you work you accomplished a lot so what is it within entrepreneurship that uh, 
inspires you? What what drives you? What makes you think about new, fresh things every every time? I think, again, it's probably two things. The first one is, again, the people who I have the honor of working with and working around. I get exposed to new ideas without even trying. And I think I, I naturally respond to that with a lot of curiosity and a lot of excitement. Um, so I do get to see really interesting, strange things. So I get exposed to a lot of new ideas. And I think that having gotten myself into a position where these things are coming to me a little bit and I'm, I'm hearing about them um, is incredibly rewarding. And then I think the other thing is, personally, I'm really driven by the impacts that How do I put this? The impacts that these new possibilities can have on the everyday life of you know a normal person like me. And I think that's something I probably connect with more passionately than some of the really crazy out there stuff or even some of the most fascinating deep tech, which can be wonderful to hear about. But I always kind of bring it back to the question of, you know, what is my life going to look like if this becomes a reality? What is a, a normal person's life going to look like? And sometimes I get a little bit frustrated, actually, too, with that, because you, you see a lot of trends, particularly in the future of workspace, where There are so many interesting possibilities with the technology, but the impact on, on individual people can get a little bit lost. And so I think that drives me to want to bring that back to the center of the conversation. So if, if you look deep down into your uh, you know, soul or whatever, you, or the mind of, of behind the scenes, is it something that you are striving to, uh, to create something in you? And once you do it, Uh, you are starting to think about the next thing or or now you're trying to build something and and take it uh, from inception until you know IPO or maybe something else yeah so that's that's such a great kind of future uh, future of what I'm doing now question I think I would really love to have the opportunity to take what I'm doing now as far as we can possibly take it I mean you never know what the future is going to hold but I think we have a pretty long roadmap you know right now we are a digital community. Um, and we have a support system for remote workers. We're currently building the version of that for enterprise. Um, but I see so many potential areas, I think, not to move on to the next thing at all, but to expand what we're currently doing because these particular problems, and I think for me especially, the problem of the isolation and loneliness, um, it's very close to my heart. And, and I think this is my mission to, to work on these particular issues. I think life is long, and I could see a career you know touching on on many different topics in the future. You never know. There are so many areas that interest me, but I feel very strongly about this one right now. Great. Now, so, so now let's get back to uh, ordering. So in, in few yeah. words, uh, explain to me what, what is it all about? Sure. So order in really is all about helping people help each other um, have a better work day. And that's what we like to say. It was, I think, an early tagline for us, you know, building a better work day. We want to leverage the power of community to help people focus on getting done what they need to do um, in, a, in a decent amount of time so that they can enjoy and live the rest of their lives and stop feeling so lonely. So um, yeah, what, what else would you like to know? So it's about, let's say, I, I got something to do. I'm sharing with the community. Mm -hmm. Someone is doing the job instead of me and I'm going to shop or... <laughs> wouldn't that be nice sure so in terms of the nuts and bolts um, we offer a number of different experiences to our members and we're building them for corporate as well and one of the the ones that I love the most is our deep work sessions our deep focus sessions I definitely did not invent this many of us have done this um, 
you know, some famous people in the world have done this, everyone from like Carl Jung uh, back in the day to, you know, Barack Obama. But to set aside a few hours of your time to work completely focused, you know, I will put my cell phone actually in a different room for me, um, turn off my email, turn off my Slack. And I've had people come to me and say, I got as much done in three hours of this really getting into the flow of it, this type of deep focus work than I would normally get in three days. So um, that makes a huge impact. But we have a number of different experiences like that. Another one is just morning morning check-ins. We call them morning motivation check-ins that we do with our team and with all of our members. It's a 15-minute meeting. Anyone who has been in an agile environment or, you know, um, a scrum environment may, it may sound familiar, but it's not exactly stand up. It's really to set our goals for the day ahead and share them with another person. Um, and a number of things like that. And what these experiences have in common is that you're not in a room by yourself doing them. You know, you have the support of other people in a community. You're seeing people's happy faces on the screen. You actually know who they are. You probably saw them yesterday. Hopefully you'll see them tomorrow. And, and to feel like, okay, people care about me. And it's not my boss. It's not my colleagues or my family because there's all these pressures in those relationships already. I might not want to be honest with my boss. Like you said, like, I would rather go shopping. I don't want to tell that to my boss, right? And if my husband's here, I don't want to tell him, you know, how stressed I am about work or really what I'm working on. Because if I tell him the details of what I'm working on, he's bored. He doesn't want to hear about it. Or maybe I, I would rather focus on the time we do have together, right? So um, having this group of people who care about you and who support you without any of these weird dynamics and and to hold you accountable. And I think that's really the core of of what it's all about. Very nice. And and, and regardless of what the person is doing, so you can have in the same virtual room, uh, one guy that is a software developer and another guy that is a yoga dance, I don't know. You know, honestly, sure. So I think there's a little bit of a limit. Most of our people are in tech in some way or another, but in general, who are knowledge workers or information workers, um, creatives and, and artists as well, freelancers, you know, we actually have a couple of people who are students or who are even looking for a job. I think the line in the sand would be, can you get your work done on a computer in some format? That's what we can help you with the most, but they don't need to be experts in the same field at all. Okay. One of the things we do is we help make curated introductions between different members of the community. If, say, you are you know, someone with a specialty in finance and you're working on your business and you want to talk to someone with a specialty in marketing, um, we can help connect those two people for a conversation. But for most people, if they're looking to get really deep expert advice from someone else in their own you know, exact field, they already know who to ask for that. So yeah, we actually find that that diversity of, of people participating in that mix is part of what makes it so lively um, and, and so valuable to the members. Well, this is very interesting. Now, I, I was glancing through your website and I've seen hmm. in one of the uh, web pages, there was like uh, different animals with different characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering if you can share a bit uh, the, the, the thinking behind those images. Yeah, absolutely. The brand, sure. So um, we're doing, some people call what we're doing virtual co-working. I don't think the definition of virtual co-working has really been figured out yet because the original purpose of co-working was these physical spaces that you would go work in. But I see that parallel. And we initially wanted to do things in person and physical spaces in real life. Um, So we were looking to launch work from nature, work from anywhere uh, experiences 
for people who do have that ability to work remotely. You know, the, the famous digital nomad. We were looking at different places in nature that were maybe beautiful, inspiring, enjoyable to spend time. And I am actually really excited for this. I do think we will launch it in the future, possibly as a core business offering of what we're doing, possibly not, maybe just as you know an experience for our members. But for me, um, the number one place that I wish I could go work from, if I were going to retire right now, I would want to go live on a goat farm. That's my... That's my uh, dream. That's what I would love to do. And my co-founder already lives on a goat farm. So sometimes I say, you know, maybe I should just go move into her house. And she laughs, you know, I'm, I'm not actually invited to do that, <laughs> right? But uh, we have this imagery of, of a farm. It's a fantasy that I think a lot of people who I know share. And then other people have different ones. Maybe they want to spend all their time on a beach if they could be anywhere or a cabin in the woods. I think we all have that urge to get away from being in front of our screens, being in our little rooms and to just be out somewhere beautiful. So we created this imagery because we wanted the website to feel like an oasis and to feel like a completely different world that you're entering and going to. And then it's a little bit of a hint for, you know, something we may do in the future by actually inviting um, our members to a real farm with real animals instead of the uh, cartoon ones that we have on the site. Very nice. Very nice. Now, you also mentioned there that uh, I think you're, you're mentioned the, the phrase is work is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can you share the, uh, be, you know, the, the behind the scenes or what's your view? Why, why did you uh, use this phrase? Absolutely. And maybe you can fill in for me with relevant statistics for Israel because I can only really speak to the U.S. market right now. Sure. Even prior to the pandemic, prior to COVID, we saw these two issues of, you know, loneliness and disconnection and then um, burnout, you know, and wasted time. And statistics that we would see about that is, you know, in the U.S., only about half of people have any kind of meaningful in-person interaction with another human being every day. And a majority of people were already saying, hey, I feel lonely already, even prior to the pandemic, particularly my generation. I'm a millennial and, you know, a Gen Z as well. About 72% of millennials feel lonely and about 74% of Gen Z. So that's, you know, this huge uh, kind of societal issue of people feeling disconnected to one another. Um, at the same time, the timing of the workday and the way that it's structured, it's not very effective. We haven't really had a workday revolution for a long time. You know, the last time it really changed in terms of our hours was probably the You know, the unions of the early 21st century saying we have to have some kind of limit to the work week. We're going to have weekends. And then since then, the workday has really just gradually gotten longer and longer, where particularly the new technologies. And when I was talking about the, you know, the excitement of being in the tech field and, and being an entrepreneur, you see these new technologies, but then there's the impact they have on real people. And maybe that's not always as great to see. Now your boss can call you at any time of day. That's been true now for 30 years. Uh, now your boss can slack you on your phone. That's been true for 10 years, you know, for um, any time, day or night. And so what we saw, again, even prior to the pandemic was that 25% of work was being done outside of normal working hours. The average knowledge worker works for about nine hours per day, but only two and a half of those hours are genuinely productive. So you're sitting with your computer for nine hours of your day and, and you're doing something for two and a half of them. So that's a huge amount of wasted time. The average person gets interrupted when they're working every 28 minutes. 
Um, we have a million statistics like this. And then unfortunately, since COVID, and when you look at remote work, it gets even worse. About 50% of people say that they feel even more lonely after starting to work remotely. And a huge amount, 69% of people say that they feel more burned out since starting to work remote. And so the connection I see between these two problems is, is kind of the direction that the future of work is going right now, which is that more of us are spending more time alone now at home, right? Now look at your house. Uh, so maybe you're alone or maybe if you're lucky, you're with your family, but then you're unlucky because they're going to come in and, and try to ask you to have a coffee all the time, right? So pros and cons. But we're, we're in a little room by ourselves. I have this small office. I shut the door. For the majority of the time that we're awake and we're sitting in front of a screen by ourselves um, and, and that's the direction that work is evolving, it's not effective. It's not the number one way to have an incredibly productive organization. It's not the best way to be innovative. It's not the best way to create great products or get a lot done. And it makes individual human beings extremely unhappy because it's not the way we were born to live. So, um, so yeah, I hate to be so gloomy, but yeah, work is a mess. I mean, work is work is completely broken the way that we look at it right now. Well, um, so <laughs> you can tell I'm passionate about this. Yeah, you are. And 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 what's the um, so I understand the part of you know if everybody is gloomy, you want to. Um, brighter days and you made to make them happy and, and the community thing and stuff. What else, what kind of uh, other perspectives and other ways do you have to, uh, to change or how do you see maybe uh, future work shape to become? Yeah. Um, I think that this question really goes back to, I'm going to be very optimistic now uh, sure. in contrast sure. to the pessimism. Sure. What we used to talk about when we talked about the future of work, even just one year ago, when people said future of work, they were talking about artificial intelligence. They were talking about AI and automation. And that's what that term meant. It didn't really mean remote work. Now, when we say future of work, the first thing everyone's thinking is remote distributed teams, you know, among um, some other, some other different things that are still happening, but we can't lose sight of, of the AI and of the automation and the really wonderful potential of those technologies. And this is very lofty. This isn't, uh, you know, strategies that a normal person can use in their day right now. And I'm happy to talk about that too. But when I think about what the future could be, we have the ability to be so much more productive than we used to be in terms of if you really look at outcomes, if you look at the amount of work that gets completed, because we have the ability to automate so much of it. And the direction that we could go with that would be that instead of the workday getting longer for the average person, it should get shorter. It should become more manageable because so much is being done for us um, via technology. And so I think what the future of work really could be and what I would like to see and what I, uh, I try to do myself with my own team since I have you know the, the good luck and the honor and the responsibility and the stress of being a CEO um, is set that culture within my own team that you should protect your own personal time in your life. You should not be working insane hours, you know, and to create this space, like I was saying with the deep focus work, okay, if we're having a meeting, there's a reason. We want to give you time in your schedule to really focus, to do the things that are genuinely important for you to do. And then I want you to ignore me for the rest of your day. I don't want you to, to come and answer me. And so there's a lot, of, um, a lot of strategies and tools available to managers and leaders in particular to shift the way that we're leading organizations. Um, and I, 
I really have seen managers start to look at these things and ask themselves, how can we improve the culture of our organization in a great way? Because ultimately, you will get more work done, not less, if you prioritize um, having it be the right work and enabling your employees to be incredibly effective. So I do think that there are solutions. And it's not necessarily trying to make people happier in a in a band-aid way by giving them fun things to do during the day. I think it's about making people feel like someone cares about them, someone sees them and understands what they're going through and why their work is important. You know, don't ask someone to do something if it's not clear to them what impact it's going to have on the organization, you know, just because, because those things kind of get people down. So it's not about even more fun during the day, although I think at Order In we we have some experiences that are are fun. We're having a happy hour this Friday where you get to meet people's babies and their pets on camera, you know, and we have these moments that are fun. But it's really about making it more deeply satisfying, you know, udamanic happiness instead of just hedonic happiness in terms of making sure that work feels meaningful and satisfying and productive and and then that the workday also ends so that you can go do something else. But if your statistics shows that, uh, let's say, in general, people are productive for two and a half hours a day. Does, mm-hmm. does this uh, resembles your future day in, in, in the future? So people will work for three hours a day and the rest will be uh, used for other things or not necessarily? Wouldn't that be great? I, um, I believe in it. I think it's possible. I always think about the story of Henry Ford, you know, and, and his car manufacturing plants. They went ahead and said, every worker gets the weekend off here. If you work here, you get two days off a week. And there were riots outside the plants of people wanting to work there. Hundreds of people showed up outside the doors and said, you know, I want to work here. Um, to the point where other companies felt that pressure to have something similar, to be just competitive in the workforce, right? To be able to hire people, you had to offer this. And I think in a perfect world, we will see, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Here's my you know, future vision yep. that I would like to see and that I think is easily possible. A four-day work week. I don't think we need to work on Fridays. We can get rid of it. I would maybe challenge people to think about how much they actually get done on Friday most of the time. You know, um, I think those of us who are entrepreneurs are an exception. And I think people who are CEOs or in upper management, you know, they might be an exception. They say, well, I work really hard on Fridays because we have these responsibilities or maybe it's your passion in your life and you really want to. But you can't assume that that applies to people who are working for a paycheck. You know, you have to be realistic. It's valid to not want to, you know? So if you're working for a paycheck versus working for your dream, it's going to look a little different. Um, And I think that we could have a much shorter workday. I'm not sure exactly what it would look like. The two and a half hours right now is because of the way people's time is wasted a lot. You know, it's in part because we're in meetings we don't have to be in or because we get interrupted. Every time you get interrupted, it probably takes 15 minutes to genuinely be useful again. You have to kind of get your brain back to where it was. And this isn't an insult that it takes 15 minutes. This is the science. You know, we know this about focus and about the brain. Um, But yeah, there does seem to be an actual limit. And it's somewhere in that three to four hours a day range of how much truly creative work you can do. I think on top of that, people do need to spend time coordinating with one another, checking in with one another and talking to each other. So I don't think that we can get rid of meetings completely. But I could see a five-hour workday, four days a week um, within, you know, within the next five years if companies were willing to do the experiment and make a decision not based on what we're used to seeing the workday, but make a decision based on the data 
about what impacts outcomes and what, what produces a more positive outcome. Which is a great segue to my next question. So you, you mentioned sure. you're, you're speaking about data and about uh, mm-hmm. AI and automation. So how do you see those fitting in the future environment of our work? Yeah, so um, you can automate almost anything already. Not perfectly, but we're getting close. Um, the company that I worked for, FindMine, it was an AI-driven software company. And so we were working out of an AI future lab. And I really remember, this was even six, no, I guess five, five, four years ago. So even five or four years ago, I was shocked at the things that people were able to automate. The one that stands out in my mind that really made me think differently about what can be automated was music. They actually had an AI creating beautiful, original, never heard before pieces of music um, as a movie score, you know, to go along with a film or something um, four and five years ago. So the things you can automate at this point, people think that it's not going to impact them. But the work that you do as a lawyer, you get your law degree, the work that you might do in the first two or three years of your career as a lawyer is starting to be automated. The work that you do, if you're someone who's very proud of your job at a hedge fund, um, we're now seeing better results from artificial intelligence investing in hedge funds than from people who have 20 or 30 years experience. People say the future of work is human. And I really agree with that, actually. And I think that one of the reasons we say that is to reassure people that there is still a place for human workers in the future of work with all of this AI. But um, I don't think we should be worried about it exactly because I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But will jobs be replaced by artificial intelligence? Absolutely. Like, yes, 100% they will be. And I think that's a really great thing in some ways because in the perfect world, you can replace what people don't have to be doing with automation and then give people the time back to do things that, you know, to decide what the goals are. For instance, you can have AI set your whole business strategy, maybe. I'm trying to think if that one's going to be possible. I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe further in the future. But you can spend your time focusing on other human beings. You can spend your time thinking about what the goals should be, what the strategy should be, being really creative, and, and leave a lot of the execution and you know the boring parts uh, to AI. Because I think the things that are going to be automated, a lot of the time, it's your least favorite part of your day. I have you know, a calendar-like tool that you know I don't want to send you 15 emails figuring out what time we should talk. I actually think that might be how you and I did get on the phone today is I also have um, you know, someone wonderful helping me and helping us figure out a time. But it's, it's those kinds of things that you can say, okay, you know what, now there's a tool for this. And it's a lot of your least favorite parts of the workday that are going to, to be automated. But we should be thinking about what people are capable of doing that still really matters. And interpersonal connection, human connection between two people you can never replace that with a machine. And so that's part of why it's something I'm prioritizing within my own career. Right. And, and do you feel that there are other areas that we're missing in terms of the uh, digitized uh, transformation the industry is going through? You've mentioned the fact that maybe we're not fully utilizing automation. Maybe we're not mm-hmm. fully utilizing the way we work and, and how we are bringing or building our day according to uh, the new uh, rules of how we should operate in, in, a, in a digitized mm-hmm. economy. So are there other areas that we're missing in terms of uh, looking into the future that might 
change the way we we work that uh, we're missing in or that we, we we need to discuss when looking into the future uh, workspace or uh, working environment sure so I think um, I'm not sure that we're missing areas that we could be automating as such because I know so many very talented entrepreneurs who are working on Everything I've thought of, actually, everything I've thought of is someone's working on it practically. Yeah. Um, there was one I thought of the other day. It's not work-related, but for any prospective entrepreneurs who are listening right now, if you want to build this, I don't know if it works or not, but I would love if I had a tool that would repurchase things for me that is not on Amazon so that I could you know, automatic purchases across any website that I want um, every month. That would be really great. But no, I think people are, are tackling all of the areas in some way or another um, that we should be automating. And it's not fully my expertise. And if they're not tackling, there is already an AI working on uh, what they should. <laughs> the AI is building AIs. That'll, that day is going to come. Yeah. That day will come. If it isn't here, I'll have to ask someone if we're already doing that. But, um, but yeah, I do think that there are areas in the future of work besides what I'm doing, of course, that could be tackled that would be really valuable to see. You know, I'm trying to work on that human connection between people working remotely. And how can you better enable um, people and teams to work remotely? And there are so many categories within that outside of what I'm building at Order In. Um, for instance, I do think new collaboration tools. So we're talking on Zoom right now. Zoom is doing really well. And I'm super grateful for this product. I've had a very different experience working remotely because this product exists. But could there be a new one, a better one, something completely different? Like, absolutely. We've seen Clubhouse come out and try to do, you know, audio only and more spontaneity, house party for audio and I believe video um, with that sense of spontaneity uh, of seeing people, which is great. There's a, I'll give a shout out actually, um, a new video platform called Toucan that's different from the Zoom experience. It tries to better replicate what it would be like to maybe be in a real conversation or at a party where you can switch who you're talking to at different times more organically. And we're lucky that at Order In, we're getting to beta test um, Toucan and potentially partner with them. But there's, I mean, there are so many. So still on the, on the video platform side, um, there's a few things. I don't know about in your family, but in my family, we interrupt each other all day, like a lot. There is no like speaker. There's no person speaking who's the main person on the screen. And I could certainly see a future for more organic uh, remote conversation tools that, that feel more like a real conversation where you have a bunch of different people around a dining room table all talking to each other and it works. I would love to see that in the remote world. In the office environment, I'm sure you've had the experience in an office where you and a favorite colleague are sitting in a meeting and someone says something and you want to like share that look with your colleague. Yeah. And right now on Zoom, we can't do it. We can't like kind of give someone a wink or, you know, no, like, okay, you know, you can't have that, that body language. And I think that that's a, an area or even just a, if I'm looking, you don't know if I'm looking at you or if I'm looking at, you know, Hillary or whoever else might be in the conversation. I think eye contact remotely, if someone could solve that, you know, so there's, there's just so many. Well, I'm not sure about the last one. I'm not sure that you would like to know that uh, the person... <laughs> you, you don't want to know who's looking no, where. I'm, I'm saying the, the person you speak to never looked at you and all the time was looking at something else. This will be a bit uh, humiliating, but you're right. What, what kind of technologies you're, you're, you're using on the daily practice within uh, ordering? Um, so we are working to automate as much of what we're doing as we can. My very firm belief, and I don't think I'll ever budge on this, you can't automate 
human connections and human relationships between different people. Um, but hopefully we can, you know, automate um, how we communicate with our members to just send them information and sign them up. So there's plenty of, you know, calendaring tools and, and communication tools. We're using something called Twilio to help us uh, text our members um, every day. And we, you know, we use Typeform uh, to create our daily pulse and to get feedback from people. There's a tool that I like. There's a couple of them. Um, it's called Yesware in my email. And there's a, a, several different versions of this. You don't have to pick that one. And then Kyber and Slack. And what these two things do that I'd like to call out because I, I like to recommend it to other leaders and other managers, they let me schedule when I'm sending a Slack message so someone gets it later. And same with an email, which we've done on email for a long time. And I do that so that if I have a thought or a question or an idea at midnight, um, I can still send it at midnight if I want, but then my my team is going to see it first thing the next morning. They're not going to get it from me at midnight because I don't want anyone to feel like, oh my gosh, JJ sent me this at midnight. You know, is she waiting for me to write back to her and like stressing about it? I don't want someone to even 9 p.m. is probably worse than midnight. Midnight's like we're all knowing we're not supposed to answer. What if it's nine o'clock and you're having dinner with your family and you see this message from your boss or from whoever and you start to think about work again? I love the idea of delaying. And I think that something I would like to see, I, I shouldn't call these tools out and say they're not capable of doing it now because maybe they are. But distributed teams um, is such a big thing. So I'm talking to you and, and you're in Israel right now and I'm in San Francisco. We have a huge time difference. And more and more teams are going to have people working all across the globe. I know early in the pandemic, I was collaborating with a couple of students. They were students at UPenn where I graduated from recently. They were from China and New Zealand. It was much more difficult when, you know, due to the pandemic, they had to fly home to China and New Zealand. It was a lot harder to collaborate with them when we had almost exactly opposite. I think we were like 13 hours, you know, um, schedules. So I, I would love to see tools like this that would take the message I send, know where the other person is, and deliver it to them at a time that is good for them to see it. But if I was investing in the future of workspace right now, I would absolutely be looking at, and I, I know all of my friends who are investors are kind of looking at the tools that are going to help companies succeed with remote and distributed workforces. And I see order in as, as one of those kind of opportunities. But I also think that really just nuts and bolts tools for distributed teams across different time zones is a really interesting area of opportunity. So let's let's uh, take the enterprise angle for a second, and I'd like sure. to uh, pick your brain about uh, maybe mistakes or things that people in an enterprise, when dealing with Gen Zs and and Gen Ys, what what are the areas that you recommend those people to uh, to look at and to emphasize when either speaking or hiring or you know dealing on a daily basis with the uh, with the Gen Zs. Yeah. So um, my co-founders are both Gen Z. I, I wish I could ask them right now. The data that we're seeing about Gen Z as they just begin to enter the workforce is definitely showing that they care about you know, the future of our planet. They care about fairness and, and other people. And so emphasizing, I think, your company's mission and making sure that you are you know, keeping a focus on ethical policies seems to be something that resonates. And it's certainly something that, you know, that I care about and that, that I feel strongly about when I think about who I'm working with. For me, I mean, different people have different priorities, you know, especially 
a lot of people are going to make decisions about the environment. And that's certainly something that's meaningful to me. Um, but I think my number one kind of comes back to that thing I brought up um, early in our conversation. What impact is this going to have on the everyday life of a normal person? Because you can be a great company, but if you're just doing this and that for business, you know, and, and maybe it's not having any impact on an average person or it's having an unintended negative impact, you know, that's, that's going to come up. Um, I think people also do care about their work-life balance and they do care about, you know, work being structured in a way that's reasonable because we're talking about generations that grew up in front of a screen from day one and are very conscious of this idea that you have to be constantly available to to everyone. And so I do think it would be very appealing um, to be able to say, hey, we're going to set healthy boundaries within our team about when we expect you to be available and when we expect you to respond, I think is great. But the number one thing that I think employers are getting wrong when they're talking about remote productivity is the way they're evaluating, you know, especially if you're switching to remote and you didn't want to, (laughs) you're not a remote first company, you just had to, um, or it's the trend. The number one thing I think when people are looking at remote productivity is they want to replicate the office experience of, if you work for me, you're sitting over there and I'm looking at you and I know that you're there and I know whether you're working or whether you're on Facebook, right? When you're at your house, I, as a manager, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're sitting. I don't know if you're on Facebook. I don't know whether you're working. And I think it's a very natural instinct for people to want to find that out. Um, and we've seen a rise in, you know, tattleware is a word for it, uh, nanny tech, trying to kind of almost spy on your employees or have um, a term I've heard for it that resonated with me, presenteeism, the idea of if you're a good employee, you're a good employee because you're present, because you are the first person in the office and the last person to leave, or you put the most hours. And I think we need to shift the focus and say, hey, we need to evaluate people on the product of their work. Are they meeting their goals? Are they getting a lot done? And I know that personally, as a manager, if someone is doing fantastic work and they're doing it you know, in the time frame that we need it to get done, and it's fast, and it's great, and it's creative, and it's interesting, you know, I really don't care if they have their pajamas on. I really don't care, you know, if they woke up late or if they watched TV in the middle of the day or did their laundry or walked their dog. It's not my business almost. And I would love to see that mindset shift of a little bit more privacy because I think that my generation and the generation coming up behind me, Gen Z, have had less privacy than than anyone ever has. And so this could go in a bad direction of saying, you know, I'm going to give my employees no privacy and take a picture of their screen while they're working, you know, install the software where we're watching them through their camera. And um, the, the data on that has shown that people feel very demoralized and they feel not trusting. They don't feel inspired to do good work. And they'll spend as much time trying to break that technology that you installed to spy on them. They'll put their energy into trying to like get around it instead of into doing their work. Yeah, this is uh, insightful. Uh, JJ, any any items that uh, you wanted to share with me that we didn't discuss or you feel that the order in is, is bringing forward and we didn't cover? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we touched on it, but I think I really want to emphasize a couple of things. I think first for, for enterprise, if you're in an organization and you guys are trying to figure out how do we maintain our company culture and the personality of our company and the relationships and sense of community that our employees have amongst each other now that we've gone remote. 
I, I would say that those people, you know, I'd love to hear from them. I would love to, to talk to them. Please reach out to me because we're building a solution to that. I've never met my two co-founders in person. I've never met anyone on my team in person. And we've formed genuine friendships um, completely remotely. We can help, you know, any company, I think, have that same sense of loyalty and affinity and community and culture remotely that they were previously, you know, maybe doing a great job building in person. But then the number one message that I that I want to get out there and the reason that I'm trying to speak up and put my perspective out into the world right now and feel so strongly about this, if anyone listening right now is feeling lonely, I just want to tell you that you're in the majority, that the majority of people feel lonely and feel isolated right now and and you're not alone, you know, it's it's everyone is kind of having some kind of struggle with this practically and so again, you know, I I hope people will reach out to us. It's order in, you know, order in club, um, or even to me personally, I'm always available to, to chat with anyone that, um, even if order in is not interesting or exciting for you personally, or it's not the right fit. If anyone's feeling lonely, you know, you can do something about it and, and you don't have to be embarrassed. It's, it's really something we're all kind of going through right now. Beautiful. Beautiful said JJ. And thank you for a very interesting conversation. Yeah. I really Thank you so it. much for having me. I really um I really appreciate the opportunity. Sure. All the best and best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.